Hello, hello. My name is Mika Marcelet, and you are listening to Talking Aging on Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 FM or coopradio.org. This is being recorded on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh people. I am so excited to have you listening today. I am speaking with Kate DeBartolo from The Conversation Project, and I really hope you enjoy. Okay, so whenever you're ready, I usually have my guests introduce themselves, so I'd love to hear um, just a short introduction about you and what is The Conversation Project. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. My name is Kate DeBartolo, and I am the Senior Director of The Conversation Project. Um, I happen to be based in Washington, D.C., and The Conversation Project is an initiative within IHI, or the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, and it's really a large public engagement initiative trying to help people share their wishes for care to the end of life. So we are trying to reach as many people as possible and and help them have access to resources to make that easier. So what, can you explain what is an end of life conversation and why is this so important? Yeah, so I guess I would say, I would back up and say, for me, this isn't just about an end of life conversation. It's about, it's a conversation about the care that you might want to receive now through the end of life. So I don't want people thinking, oh, I've got time. I'll deal with this later. I'm, I'm young and healthy now. I don't need to deal with that yet. This is something that all of us should be doing. And it's a conversation really about the kind of care we might want, what matters to us, who we want to have involved in our care, so that if something unexpected happens, people would know what you want. And then maybe if there's a diagnosis or a condition, kind of a a better idea of what's coming, you can start to be prepared for that because we know that a crisis is kind of a, a terrible time to learn and to start bringing up these conversations. So for us, it's really about normalizing these conversations early and often with family and friends, just so there's no um, big surprises. Yeah, it seems like, like I know by the numbers on your website, it shows like 92% of Americans um, say it's important to discuss their end of life care, but only 32% have actually had that conversation. So why do you think there's such a gap there where people actually don't discuss their wishes? And, you know, what's interesting is that 32 has actually gone up over the years, so that's a little bit promising. I think it's a mix of some people feel like, oh, I've got time. I've got too many other things on my to-do list that are more pressing to deal with, so I know I'm supposed to do that, but I just haven't gotten around to it, and I just keep kicking the can down the road. Um, There are some people for whom it is stressful to think about, or they don't want to address mortality, or they don't feel like they have to... um, an open ear to share it with, or they don't think that maybe their providers would be as interested in hearing about it. And so we're trying to help um, shift that narrative and, and make it an easy thing to do and also kind of a, a more normal thing to do regularly. It's not one and done. It doesn't, I think the other thing is a lot of people think of a super medical conversation or a really legal conversation and you have to wait for an attorney and spend a lot of money on a you know formal documentation. We're trying to normalize just kind of talking about this part of part of life and it's not something you do once and put in a filing cabinet for 15 years it can be a conversation an ongoing conversation that you keep having do you also think maybe people are waiting for someone who is comfortable enough to bring up the subject 
Yeah, I know there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't want to upset my mom by asking her this. And then the mom's saying, I don't want to upset my kids by bringing this up. So it's a lot of people protecting each other. Um, and so we try to give some good icebreakers. It doesn't have to be a, you know, one big formal conversation that happens with lots of tears and dramatic, you know, uh, wishes declared. You know, sometimes there are tears, but it can also be a series of conversations um, kind of a prompt when seeing a TV show, you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I would want that. Or remember what happened to Aunt Susie? Like, I, I don't know if I would have liked that, or I liked what this happened. So it can be lots of little pieces as well. Um, I think that that can, can help normalize it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you also think like confronting mortality and talking about end of life almost provides a richer ex- appreciation for life? Um, and do you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the main reasons I'm so drawn to this work. I've been working on it for the last eight years, and I know a lot of my colleagues are in the same boat. We actually have one colleague who is a former nurse who went to divinity school to kind of preach and teach on the importance of addressing mortality lets you live a more fulfilling life. Um, I think a lot of people in this space live a very happy life because when you can acknowledge your mortality you kind of make make use of the time that you have um in a more not productive like uh making money or getting things done kind of way but productive in a way of like what actually matters what do you want to spend your time doing um if you don't know that tomorrow is promised yeah no absolutely and it just it helps you kind of accept things that get thrown your way because you're looking at it from a whole new perspective right yeah, I think this idea of thinking about what matters to me and that I can have a say in that, um, it, it, it applies here in healthcare, but it applies to relationships that you want to tend to, hobbies you might want to pick up, the job that you have. So I think sometimes it can be a, um, a snowball for some people and for others. It's just a chance to knock something off their to-do list. And it's almost like we kind of almost have like a privilege to be able to plan out our future and the rest of our lives. Like just looking at people who were probably born in 1950 or earlier, the life expectancy was like 47 years old at that time. Yeah. So you didn't really like, it's almost like now we expect that we're going to live into our eighties and we know kind of what is coming. So. Well, I think that's one reason why this has even become an issue as of late that medical and technological advances have allowed us to have a say in the kind of care that we're going to have. If you have a stroke or a heart attack or a cancer diagnosis, there are treatments available that didn't used to be available. And we were much more used to having death in the home. You know, grandparent, multiple generations in the same home, um, people dying of natural causes at home. It wasn't quite, uh, it wasn't as taboo because it was much more normalized. And then almost like how birth became a bit more medicalized, death did as well. And there are more decisions to make of, this is where it starts to get medical, but CPR or feeding tubes or um, different kind of life saving measures or life extending measures that that hadn't been available. And so there are more conversations to have now that that's on the table. Absolutely. And it's, I imagine it's so helpful because a lot of people find themselves in that situation. They don't know where to turn to, like what kind of resources are available and how to navigate the healthcare system or the legal system in that way, right? Yeah. And so that's one of our hopes of um, 
we provide a lot of free guides for people to help think about a like do your own work ahead of time what matters to you where do you fall on a scale you know we, we offer a couple of scale questions like um you know, uh, what are your concerns about medical treatment? Are you concerned that you won't get enough care or you'll get too much care? Because I think a lot of times people think, I know I need to do this, but I don't even know what the questions are or what I should talk about. So we try to lay that out for people. Um, and hopefully those are helpful. We have some icebreakers. How do you get started um, to make that a bit easier? Are you referring to the conversation starter guide? Yes, I am. Okay, so how so can you explain a bit more about what that is? Yes, so we have a lot of free resources available on our website, theconversationproject.org. And the idea is that you can't plan for everything, but we can talk about what is most important in our life, in our healthcare, with the people who matter most to us. So we walk you through a couple of steps to think about what matters most to you, and we offer some prompts or some ideas um, so that you can think about your kind of what matters to me statement, and then planning for the conversation that you might have. So on a scale, you know, that example of, are you worried you won't get enough care? Are you worried you'll get too much? Are you wanting to do everything you can, any treatment to extend my life, no matter how uncomfortable I might be, or I don't want treatments that would impact the quality of my life? So we offer a couple of scale things for you to think about, where do I even fall on this? And then it give you some prompts about who you might want to talk to, when you might be able to bring it up, and then some icebreakers. So that's just kind of get the conversation going. Because as I said, for us, we think it's so important not to, to only have something live in a legal document or a medical file, but to start sharing this with the people in our life who might be called upon to, to answer um, if something were to happen. We also have guides for how do you choose a healthcare proxy or what if somebody asks you to be a proxy, what am I supposed to do? Or a guide on how to talk to a healthcare team, um, how uh, resources for caregivers of somebody with Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia. We have one for people living with serious illness or caregivers of a seriously ill child. So there's a lot of scenarios that we've heard from people in the field that they wanted and we've created guides for each of those. And do you um, work with any other like community organizations or what, any kind of outreach? Yeah. So when we first started the conversation project, now it's almost been 10 years ago, we thought we were just going to try to work on traditional media, social media, put up a website, have some of these guides. And we started to hear from community champions all over the world, mostly in the U.S., but it's gotten much more international as well, who might say, I'm a retired ICU nurse and in my retirement, I want to do programming in my town, or I'm a congregation and we want to um, preach and teach on the importance of this topic. So we now have hundreds, if not thousands of groups that have kind of taken this to their local community to introduce the topic, you know, have a translation, so to speak. There are language translations, but we also understand that culturally, this is going to hit people in different ways. And so we really encourage that, that they don't only need to hear it from us. We want them to hear it from, from people in their own community. And is this how you kind of ensure that you reach people who might need this information and these resources most? Yes. And trying to get people to share stories. I think so many people have stories of personal examples, or again, literary examples, favorite TV shows, movies, um, things that they've seen where they either feel like, I don't want that, or I do want that, 
or here was a time it was really hard in my family when we didn't discuss what my grandmother wanted and it caused friction. And I think for us, for me in particular, that's one of the reasons I'm most drawn to this work is it's not only for the person at the center whose wishes we're talking about, but it's for that kind of ripple effect of who else is affected so that we know most often after the death of someone, there is grief, but how complex or how complicated that grief is, is something we can affect. So, you know, having siblings still get along with each other after the loss of a parent is a really big deal to not have infighting or questioning, or I don't know if we did the right thing. Um, so I think that that's a, that's a really big part of why this is so important. Well, I love that. And like, I've read through some of the stories that you have on your website. And a lot of the theme is that people learn things about their loved ones that they, you know, they feel should not have taken them this long or should have taken this to have learned that. And they like have a new appreciation. So like, I guess this is a great way to honor the lives of people while they're, you know, alive and healthy and make sure that you can also learn more about them and not waiting until they're close to dying. Yeah, I think um, you know, it gets back to that idea of really focusing on what matters. So I remember we've got a story on our website of somebody who's talking about um, someone who's dying in their life. They didn't know how much time there was going to be left. It's like, why are we eating spinach? Like, you don't have to eat the spinach anymore. If you don't want to. If you've got weeks left, let's bring in, like, your favorite barbecue, the cakes that you love. Like, let's focus on what... Um, what you really like and what you care for. Um, so I think that there's, there's a piece of that. There's people who get to share just loving loving time with each other. This isn't all sad and, and upsetting. It can be a really loving chance for people to, to be in touch. Um, so that's been really inspiring for me. Absolutely. Um, can you explain the concept of a good death and maybe a bad death or a hard death and what that means? Yeah, and I want to be careful about passing judgment on on unbedded experiences for some people. I know that when the Conversation Project was started by Ellen Goodman, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning columnist from the Boston Globe, it was after the experience in caring for her mother where she felt like she hadn't been able to ask her mother questions. And through different medical scenarios, um, dementia issues, she couldn't ask her mom for advice when she had to make decisions. And that really stuck with her for a long time. And in having dinner with some colleagues and friends, they got talking about this idea of a good death or a hard death. And it seemed to them that the people who had a quote unquote good death, even though it was, again, very sad or upsetting, Mm -hmm. but people had talked about it. There, it wasn't a lot of friction or fighting or questioning with the healthcare team, what was being done. There was kind of an understanding And whereas some of the ones that were that much harder, it's because there was a lot of surprise or family who didn't get along afterwards or people feeling like I, you know, the only thing my mom asked was to stay at home and I couldn't do that and I feel like I failed her. And so this idea of we need to normalize talking about it throughout all of adulthood so it doesn't feel like one really big hard thing to bring up, that's what we were um, trying to address. So I think that there can always be grief and a lot of death is hard but again how complex or how complicated that grief is after the loss of a loved one that's one of the things that we've seen that people who have these conversations have far less depression six months after the loss of someone 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's very subjective, and it's it's almost like good death is kind of like an oxymoron. But what you're really referring yeah. to is like the experience for everyone, like all the loved ones, um, like the yes, whole experience. Like what is the state of the relationships left behind? How are people feeling, even though it's very upsetting to have lost someone? Mm-hmm. Because death, it's not just like one moment, right? It's the right. it's the whole part of it. And like you mentioned, like how early they start talking about it, making sure the wishes were honored. And then even afterwards, how the family's kind of dealing with everything. Well, I remember somebody telling me like, oh, with certain conditions, you can be dying for many years. And I think, I mean, that's again, why we wouldn't say these are just end of life conversations. Because in that situation, I would say you were living through all of those years and the death part is just at the very end Mm -hmm. and so you might have limitations on what you can do that are different from before but but what's important to you how do you want to live that time that you have and how can we make sure that medical decisions line up with that because I think that's the other thing not only if we've been talking about the grief for the experience for family or friends but also for clinicians who often feel like they are providing care that the patient wouldn't have wanted or they're, they're providing too much or too little care. And so for the clinicians, it can be um, a hard experience as well. And they they often want to make the medical decisions based on what matters to people. And so if we can give everybody some better tools for how to talk about that, um, I think that can really help the healthcare team as well. Yeah, so really every level of care, like every you know level of, every part of it is really affected. Oh, and that's what, in many ways, I would hope, you know, this may have started talking about end-of-life conversations, but we should be talking about what matters to us at every stage of the game. And if you think about, we were talking about birth and death and how medicalized they became, but birth plans are a really common thing now. And it wasn't the clinicians who said, all right, ladies, legs out of the stirrups, let's hop in the bathtub and, you know, bring in the camcorder. It was people saying, this is not just a medical experience. It's a life experience. And I have thoughts on how I want it to go. And I've, I've had a kid. I worked on a birth plan. It, it's not to say that things will go exactly as you planned out. Medically, sometimes that's not the case. But we're invited to think about what would feel like success here, what, what matters to us, and we'll adapt the medical scenario to match that. And so I think that that's one of the goals here as well with the end of life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it. It's actually, like you said, it's good to have a plan. You know, probably not everything's going to go according to plan, but at least you've had it thought out and you're more kind of at peace with the decisions you've made and stuff like that. Yeah. Our advice is also to be sure that you talk to multiple people, you know, like don't only tell one adult child, make sure all of the kids know, like, what are the ways that you can adapt this so that everybody feels like they're on the same page, even if you don't get into all of the details. Like, hey guys, wanted you to know Timmy's in charge. I've I've told him what I want. We've had a more in-depth conversation, but that way you've helped avoid a lot of the potential infighting that could happen. And or to really expand on what you mean. You know, the home example that I was sharing before, a lot of people express grief about, you know, I couldn't keep them at home. And we know that that's not always medically feasible or physically or financially feasible. But what is it about home? It really matters to someone. And I know for my grandmother, that was about having her cat with her. So she was perfectly happy to go to a facility that might be able to help with her medical needs if her cat could be there. And we were able to find that. Um, So different people have reasons why they might make a really blanket statement, but you can try to unpack that a little bit more to understand it. 
So was that also part of normalizing the conversation to encourage you to kind of have the conversation multiple times with multiple people? Yes, and to give current answers. You know, answer the question with your current body, mind, and life in mind. I remember I've done this with so many people where they're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to have cancer or if I'm going to get hit by a bus or I'm going to be 85 years old with Alzheimer's. It's like, you have time to answer some of those scenarios. What would you want right now? Like my husband and I did this when we got married. What would we, what would we want right now if something unexpected happened? Then we have a kid. We have the conversation again. But there's all these different life events where you can adapt it. But, but answer it presently. What would you want? And then you can kind of update that as you get new information um, or over time. So would you say people like we should have the conversation now, like no matter what kind of life stage that you're at. Absolutely. Everybody on the line has like the best excuse right now, having listened to this, like there's your icebreaker. I was listening to this um, conversation. I heard about the conversation project. It made me realize I haven't figured out who my healthcare proxy is. Yeah. You can take a look at some of the resources we have, but I, we think that anybody over 18 should have a healthcare proxy. And that term I realize changes regionally. Sometimes it's healthcare agent, surrogate, power of attorney. Who would you want to make medical decisions if you were incapacitated and couldn't speak for yourself? And so for everybody that, should have that. For that person, is the criteria just somebody who's close to you, or are you trying to find somebody who maybe knows a bit more about the healthcare system and can navigate it? Um, so yeah, we have an entire guide on how do you pick a person. Um, some. Uh, states or regions have slightly different technicalities of like it should be somebody over 18 they shouldn't work in the hospital where you might be receiving care you know there's a couple of stipulations often that are local okay but i think that it's important that it's somebody who's willing to honor what your wishes are so it doesn't automatically have to be a spouse or a sibling or a child although oftentimes that's a natural fit um but i know plenty of people who said oh my spouse would never do what I want here. So I'm going to ask my cousin to do it. Like, so really thinking about who would respect what your wishes are. I don't think they have to know the healthcare system, but would they feel comfortable asking questions or pushing back if they see something they don't like? Um, Would they be able to kind of stand up for you? That's who we're looking for as a healthcare proxy. Well, and how can people find the conversation guide and access the resources that you provide? So we have a website, theconversationproject.org, and you can see all of our free conversation guides there. You can download those for free. We have them in English, Spanish, and Chinese, and we're getting some audio versions as well. Um, We have a bunch of blogs there where people share their stories, and we also have social media accounts if you want to to follow there, but we would love to have people get, get more involved, and then if as you each go off and have the conversation, you've now been deputized to do that. If this becomes something you're, you become passionate about or you want to do more of in your community, we've got a lot of more resources for people who want to take that on as well. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for this conversation. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation my conversation with The Conversation Project. Once again, you're listening to Talking Aging on Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 FM 
or coopradio.org, or perhaps you're listening to the podcast version. Either way, thank you so much for joining. Next time, I will be speaking with somebody from End of Life Doula. So we've got a bit of a theme going on. Um, We'll talk to you then. Thank you so much.